Welcome back to Bible study. It feels like it's been way too long. Yay! I'm so happy. Oh, it's so wonderful to just see all your faces. And I'm so excited. I've just been anticipating it. Um, I just want to start with prayer uh, before we begin again. Um, so let's go ahead and pray. I thank you, God, for this. Um, this time to be together. I thank you that we're back together. I, I just thank you for the sweet fellowship here, God, um, that you have created. God, that you have led these women here, God, by your spirit, and you bring us together around your word. And I'm so grateful. I'm, I, I love to see you work, God, and the fruit that you, you um, bring forth out of these women, Lord, as we all study. And um, and just even the work you do in me, God, in it, I just, I'm just so grateful, Lord, that you're so faithful to us, God. And I thank you, Lord, that um, we can come around your word again today. I just pray that you would just um, fill me with your spirit, God, that you would speak through me, Lord, the words that you want me to say, God, um, that it would be exactly what you desire it to be right now, God, that it would honor you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, it's been a little stretch since we've been together, <laughs> um, and I've really missed being with you all like this. Um, I want to start by introducing myself, because I was thinking last night in bed, <laughs> like, maybe not everybody knows who I am, you know? And that's, you know, it's a truth. <laughs> Universally acknowledged, no, not everybody knows who I am, but, um, and that's, that's, yeah, nobody's going to always know who I am. Anyway, but if you are new, I'm just going to say, my name is Angela Brown. Welcome. And I'm looking forward to getting to know you if you're new. I, I, every year I get to know new people, and it's so awesome. Um, I am the Women's direct Ministry Director here at the church, and uh, this is a newer position for me within the last year, and Janet's been training me. Um, I'm married to Benjamin Brown. He has a goatee like this, and he's shiny on the top. <laughs> he's going to kill me later. <laughs> um, I have five kids, right? And you're like, yeah, I have five kids. It's not that uncommon anymore, guys. <laughs> it's just, uh, more and more people have five kids. Um, I have, they range between 11 and 17 years old. Um, and I do homeschool most of my kids. I, um, I don't homeschool one because he's doing the dual early college thing. He's 15, my son, Dave. Um, but I am so excited this year because <laughs> I get to finish homeschooling my daughter, Eve. She's here. I'm so excited. <laughs> and I get to graduate her in the spring, so that just makes me feel so like, oh, we did it. <laughs> With lots of help. <laughs> I needed lots of help. Um, so anyway, my kids are normally here running around on Thursdays, either serving or in, hanging out with their friends, fellowshipping. Um, and so I wanted to just, that's who I am. Hello. <laughs> um, I wanted to share a little bit about how the summer went with women's ministry. You know, I know, um, I'm sure you guys have wondered, like, what's going on <laughs> with the transition of Janet retiring and me taking her place? Um, you know, that was a big change this summer. And I have to say that Janet's shoes are really big shoes to fill. <laughs> but I've been really thankful because I um, don't have to fill her shoes alone. So 
Um, she, when she retired, in essence, her job split two ways. I'm really thankful for this part <laughs> because um, it split one way, which was women's ministry, which is what now I'm directing and overseeing. And God has surrounded me with a group um, of women that support me and help me a lot. I can't ever do this alone. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering, if I do, I don't. That's impossible. <laughs> but um, the other part, how it was split, Janet's job, was the senior pastor's wife, right? Which I'm here to clarify that I am not Ryan's wife. <laughs> Thank you. I, I love Ryan, but he, I love my husband. <laughs> and, um, and there were some women that came up to Mary, which is Ryan's wife, Mary Frederick, and said, we're surprised that she was his wife. They thought it was me. I'm like, oh my word. <laughs> I'm just going to clarify <laughs> the moment I get a chance now. And no, most of you guys know that, but I do not take on that responsibility, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but Mary is awesome. Um, she has a heart for you all as well. Um, and over the years, we've had a sweet friendship, which is just amazing that how it's changing and forming into something new. And um, I just love working with her. And I've asked her to be a part of the brainstorming and a lot of the planning so that I can hear her input. And then also she sees how things are shaken out and has a pulse on what's going on, you know. And so it's been really cool. Um, so anyway, there's that. And then, so I'm going to go a little bit long just because <laughs> I a couple introductory things, but normally the teaching won't go this long. Um, I wanted to just take one more moment and just share my heart for women's ministry because maybe you don't know me very well and you're like, there's a change. What does this mean? You know, I realize with the big change, I know if I were some of you, I would be curious as to like, is this a, do, a new direction where, you know, what's the heart here? What can I expect? So I just thought it would be prudent to just share that with you a little bit. Um, Janet and I have always shared the same heart for you all. Um, you know, for all of the women in the church, that you would all be well loved, that you would be faithfully encouraged in the word, um, and that ultimately, you all are pointed to Jesus, you know, to glorify him. And Janet always told me when she was training me that the heartbeat of women's ministry is here at Women's Bible Study, and I completely agree. Um, it's where we find fellowship and connection around his word. We wrestle with it together. We grow in it together, and I love that. Um, there are a, like a couple of things that are a little different this year about Bible study. We're studying a different genre, which it means is to say a different type of book. Um, in the past, we've been in letters for a long time, which is in the New Testament, which has been awesome. And, and we have studied narratives before, like the book of Ruth. I don't know if you guys remember that or, you know, but um, we've been in letters for a while. And so we are switching gears to a narrative, which is a, a story, historical fiction, not fiction. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Okay, historical fiction is my favorite genre, <laughs> my favorite kind of book. But this, the book of Acts, is not a historical fiction. It is a his historical nonfiction. It is something that happened. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, I gotta stick to my notes. This is bad. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so, <laughs> so because of that, because we're reading through a story that actually happened, <laughs> um, you have to ask some different kinds of questions, right? And each week in your booklets that you have, um, 
the first day, except for today, it has to be different today, but that's okay, it was worth it. <laughs> but the, generally the first day of each week will have the same set of questions, and that is different. And um, I just want to encourage you guys, that is not meant to be busy work. That, the heart behind that is so that you guys can dig into, with those questions, the verses. Like dig, dig, think, think. And, I, and I, it's meant to be there um, so that you guys can wrap, you all, can wrap your minds around the setting of the passage. Like what's going on? Who's in this passage? Where are they? Because it's going to change. Like who and where <laughs> and why, you know? So um, I just want to say that's a little bit different, but it's, it's very intentional. And I hope that it helps you all because I think when we wrestle with it a little bit like that, then we can come to some conclusions on our interpretation of the passage, right? Um, so, also something we've gone back to is doing four days instead of five days. That's a little change. Um, and we did that for lots of reasons. We just want to keep it simple. But I also want to say that this study, someone once told me, an old mentor way back, when I, my first year of Bible study, and I was a young mom, and I was like, I don't know when I'm gonna do this. <laughs> when am I gonna do this? She said, you will get as much as you put into it, out of it. And so I encourage you, whether you have this much time or this much time, God will be faithful when you seek him, and he will give you as much as you are able to put into it. So I encourage you, dig deep if you have time. If you don't, it's okay. Like, God will meet you anyway, and he will, he'll minister to you at your spot in life. So anyway, <laughs> um, so despite all the little changes, I hope you know that my heart is the same as Janet's for you all. Um, that is the part that has not changed. <laughs> and I hope that, um, you know, as, as we navigate this new change that, you know, that it's fresh and good and that the Lord, I know the Lord is in it. So anyway, so let's get to our passage. Um, if you could open with me to Acts 1, we'll start with um, verses 1 and 2. And it's hot. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and read the first two verses. It says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Right away, we have clues to the who, you know, who, to the who of the author, like who was the author of the book, um, based on who the account was written to. Theophilus is mentioned as being a recipient um, in another book as well, and that gives us a hint of who wrote this book, because um, where Theophilus was mentioned was in the book of Luke. In Luke 1, 1 through 4, Luke addresses the same Theophilus and says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So in the book of Luke, we see him writing to Theophilus, laying out all the facts and details that he gathered as he interviewed people that had been with Jesus and had seen all that he had done and heard all that he had taught. And in Acts now, we see him continuing to write out the rest of the story um, of all that happened after Jesus rose from the dead. So let's take a moment and take a look at who Luke was and who Theophilus was. 
We see from Colossians 4.14 that Luke was a doctor or a physician. He was not a Jew, but he was a Greek. Um, he was the only Gentile writer of the entire New Testament, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and he was not an apostle. So I'm correcting myself, because I actually thought in 2 Timothy that he was an apostle. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. I was wrong, I stand corrected. <laughs> Luke is not an apostle. Um, many historians believe that Luke may have been a slave, because slaves of wealthy men often held positions of a physician. Some believe that Theophilus was Luke's owner who had, after, um, after he had gotten saved, freed Luke to travel with Paul. Whether any of these speculations are true, one thing is definitely that we know for sure, that Luke traveled with Paul. He interviewed many people and wrote the book of Luke and then continued the story in the book of Acts. The book of Luke described all that Jesus came and did. The book of Acts picks up the story, um, first backing up a little and at the end of Luke and then overlapping the story a little when Jesus rose from the dead and fills in more details of what happened right after Jesus ascended to heaven, or right before, right before he ascended to heaven. And as we'll see this year and next, we're studying this book. Okay, so I forgot to say, <laughs> we're studying this book for two years. I, don't, I know most of you might have known that, but I just wanted to say that out loud. <laughs> this is our first year in Acts, because if we were to do it in one year, it would be more of a survey approach. It'd be pretty zoomed out. So we're going to take two years in it. Um, and Acts is really the story of how the gospel was brought to Rome and to the rest of the world. So in Luke 1... Luke mentions his previous account of all that Jesus did and thought or taught in the book of Luke. In verse 2, we see him mention Jesus giving the apostles orders. Um, what orders were Jesus giving? Um, we see it clearly in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> Oh, good, thank you. Um, so I'm gonna read from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, before he went to heaven, didn't mention in passing, but commanded his disciples to go beyond Jerusalem to the world and share Jesus with people, leading them to a relationship with him. I love how in Acts 1-2 it says that Jesus had given them these orders by the Holy Spirit. Even in his risen body, about to go to heaven, he's still dependent and led by the Spirit of God. So let's move into verse 3. It says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. We see here that Jesus spent time with the apostles for a period of time. He was there with them for 40 days. That's like a month and a half. <laughs> That's a long time he was with them. He would appear, from what I understand, and then reappear, or disappear and he would reappear. Um, so a question could be asked, you know, what was he preparing them for, you know, over the 40 days that he was with them? Verse three tells us that it was concerning the kingdom of God. He was teaching them things about the kingdom of God. And we'll see Acts beginning mentioning the kingdom of God and then we see it ending mentioning it as well. 
the book of Acts is a picture of God's kingdom spreading. Um, Jesus set it up and prepared the apostles for it. They began spreading it first in Jerusalem and on, and it still continues to today. Um, in my perspective, the book of Acts never really ended. <laughs> the, book, the church throughout history continues on the story of all that Jesus is doing and still teaching through the church, through his followers based off his word. Um, so let's read in verses four and five. It says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Here we see Jesus gathering the disciples together and giving them final instructions. He doesn't just tell them, you know, you should do this. He commands them to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promised Holy Spirit to come. He wanted them to be together and to wait. And they're waiting for God to fulfill his promise to them. So let's dig a little bit deeper with this promise. We see in Joel 2, 28 and 29, a promise about God pouring out a spirit. It says, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so God had spoken beforehand about a time to come when it didn't matter who you were, young or old, male or female, slave or free, the spirit would come upon people. Um, God uses the terminology of the spirit being poured out, like in Joel and we see in this passage today, poured out like water or like oil. We see in our passage Jesus referring to the coming spirit as a baptism, which when you look up what baptism means, it's literally like a total immersion. It's, that's what it is when you look it up. When we think of literal baptisms, we might think like baptism like at the church in the park, like we witnessed, or when someone is being totally immersed in water, you know, just like church in the park. Um, Jesus, when he was talking of baptisms of the Holy Spirit, he wants us to have a picture of water baptism in our head, the idea of the Holy Spirit completely drenching us. So I'm gonna pause and then come back to this picture of baptism a little, in a little bit. I think at this point, I feel like it would be good to talk a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does with us and for us. This isn't the only week we'll be talking about this, especially in chapter two, <laughs> when what he promised actually happens. We're gonna see that. We'll get to um, work that out more, but today I wanted to just touch on like who, is, who the Spirit is and why he's important. I often think that um, he is the person in the Trinity who is talked about the least. Um, my husband said, because, <laughs> I was talking to him this morning, he's like, it's because we know the least, and people feel like they know the least about him, <laughs> you know? But yet, he is the person in the Trinity that may, we may need to have the most interaction with. His work is really pretty important. Honestly, I think depending on what church you've come from or what your background are, you know, is there would be varying degrees of how much the Holy Spirit is emphasized you know, among churches. Maybe some of you have come from a church that had an unhealthy focus on the Holy Spirit. Maybe a lot of it was focused too much on an emotional experience or what you did to get it. Um, maybe some of, of you have come from the opposite kind, the opposite end of churches that avoids talking about the spirit altogether out of fear of emphasizing him too much because maybe it would feel out of control or unpredictable, you know? I believe that, I really believe there's a balance. 
I think it's really important for us as a church to have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit's role in our walks with Jesus. Um, here's the reason why. Um, the longer that I have followed Jesus, the more I am acquainted with my shortcomings, right? I don't know if I'm the only one, but when I'm trying in my own strength to be more patient, more, have more peace inside, or be more kind to my kids, I, have, I become more acquainted with my lack, my failure to be a good wife or a mom or a believer in Jesus, you know? Um, and not just in my personal life, but the longer I raise my kids, <laughs> the more I see that they can't live Jesus well on their own either, <laughs> you know? <laughs> if I'm training my kids to live for Jesus in their own strength, all it will be is teaching them to be little Pharisees, you know? And they'll be exhausted, just like I would be if I'm doing it in my own strength. <laughs> I could tell them, don't do this, do this, don't do this, and they can try and fail over and over and over again. Don't we naturally do that as well without even noticing, you know? If we emphasize living the Christian life without the Holy Spirit, what we end up with is a works-based religion, really. Like, it just becomes about us. God never intended us to live this Christian life in our own strength based on how hard we try to do right or wrong. He called us to live by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. He intended us to be dependent on this person, the Spirit. <laughs> when we dig a little deeper and look at other times we see in the Word the promises of the coming of the Spirit, we see who he is is worked out a little bit more. So I wanted to share a couple of those passages. One example is John 14, 16 through 17, and then later in 26, verses 26 and 27, Jesus shared these things with his disciples before he died on the cross. And I have to drink water really quick, I'm sorry. Okay, it says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, you to, bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Isn't that so encouraging? I love those verses. Jesus didn't leave his disciples or us alone. He promised the Holy Spirit to come, and he describes the Holy Spirit as a helper. This picture of a supporter. Um, another translation says advocate. Practically, it gives us what, he practically gives us what we need to live for Jesus. The Spirit is described also as the one who will lead us into all truth. You know, we live in a really deceptive world, and yet we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us, leading us and reminding us of what is really true. So I'll stop there as far as explaining all the Holy Spirit does and his purpose with us for now, but I encourage all of you... Um, if you haven't looked into or studied more about the Holy Spirit's role in your life, I really encourage you to do it. I, I think it's just, very, it could be very fruitful. My heart in going there a little with you all is to emphasize the importance of the Holy Spirit's work in our everyday lives. If we don't go there and understanding who he really is in our everyday life, out of fear, we, we can get tripped up in trusting in our own strength, you know. 
So we, we can't, we truly can't do anything God desires of us really well on our own. <laughs> he expects us to depend on the Holy Spirit to help us. So let's continue on to verse six and seven. It says, so when they had come together, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority. Um, Here we see Luke describing one of the conversations Jesus had with the disciples on one of the occasions when he had appeared to them during those 40 days. Jesus had been sharing about the kingdom of God with them and teaching them when they were together. And we see here that they are of the hope that Jesus is going to rule on earth now. They're like, this is it. (laughs) He's back. (laughs) Yet when Jesus is talking to them about is not a physical reign. When he was sharing with them about the kingdom of God, he was sharing with them about both, I think, physical and spiritual. And it's hard to know exactly what he said because we weren't there and it wasn't all written down, but, <laughs> but I would imagine there was confusion, so this is why they're asking. Um, I think the reason why Jesus doesn't tell them the exact time and the amount of time until he would restore Israel is because I think it would have been discouraging for them. (laughs) Um, If he said, yeah, in a couple thousand years (laughs) or more. (laughs) Um, I mean, we're still waiting, right? And so I I think that would have overwhelmed them and they would have just been discouraged and they would have been honestly distracted from what he was trying to really get across to them. I think oftentimes God's like that with us. We want to know what's next, you know, what to expect We want to know when he'll change whatever we want him to change. You know, when's it going to happen, Lord? Right now, please, Lord. (laughs) Whether it's our circumstances or our relationship with someone. So many times he doesn't tell us when things are going to change or improve. Because maybe if if we knew it all, we would be distracted or discouraged from what God actually wants us to do right now. He wants us to live in the now with a simple focus on Jesus. Even if we don't get to see all that God is doing, we can trust and know that he's good, wise, and in control. After Jesus tells them that they don't need to know the time of his earthly reign, he explains what they need to focus on. We'll see it in verse eight. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Jesus brings them back to the topic of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a minute and just think about what he means when he describes being baptized with the Holy Spirit in verse five, and here when he talks about receiving power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. I'm so thirsty, what's wrong? (laughs) Okay, Um, the understanding of these things have been long thought out and argued over time, right? <laughs> These aren't like, I don't have like the simple answer, I got it all figured out. <laughs> but I think we do, we can understand some of this. Um, right offhand, I can think of two different streams of thought and opposing views when it comes to understanding this. One would be like classic Pentecostalism, you know. Uh, Chuck Smith described this as a belief that if we prove ourselves by our intensity or our purity, then we get the power of the Spirit. So there's one stream of thought. Maybe it's having enough faith or an emotional experience, you know. And I think with any belief, we have to come back to the word of God, you know, and look and see if we can see it in in the word. 
We know the Spirit is a gift to the believer. If the Spirit is a gift, then it can't be bought or worked for. It's a gift, you know. It's something you receive. The other thought is that, um, is what I would traditionally think of as like a Baptist thought line of thinking. The idea that the moment you open, not all Baptists, okay, sorry. Because <laughs> I'm like, there's a lot of Baptists out there. But, maybe, but like, maybe from my Baptist background, we'll just say that. <laughs> the idea that the moment you open your heart to Jesus, the Spirit baptizes you. That means he immerses you into the body of Christ. And that the gifts of the Spirit, such as prophecy and tongues, healing, visions, you know, those things don't happen anymore. Those have ceased. Um, and for years, this is where I personally landed. And, but over the years, though, you know, God has challenged me, forcing me to examine the word more carefully, asking myself whether or not I am putting God in a, or his spirit in a box. And I am not saying that if this is what you believe that you're putting God in a box. I'm not saying that at all. But for me, Lord, the Lord really brought me and challenged my way of thinking. And, um, and I've seen the spirit work in ways that I thought couldn't happen anymore, you know. So I think he challenged me to think outside of what I maybe thought, and, um, and I'm in a place personally now that just isn't willing, you know, to, to, to go to say exactly that, to limit God, and I'm not saying you're limiting God if you do, but just for me it felt that way, and so mainly because I don't believe it's clear enough in the word to be dogmatic about, I guess, so I'm a little more open than I used to be. <laughs> um, with all that said, I thought it would be helpful to lay out three different relationships we can see in the word, that we have with the Spirit. These things have been worked out in the Word. They are clear. So I'm like, why don't we just focus there because we can't figure all this other stuff out. <laughs> um, praise God, we can always set the certain things that are confusing aside when we don't understand it, and we can just go to the Word and see what He says. Um, number one, for sure, we know He is with us, like John 14, 16, and 17 says, where it talks of the Spirit being with us as a helper like I read, never leaving us. Number two, we can know for sure that he comes in us. Another way of saying this is we can receive him. We see this in John 7, 39, which I encourage you all to read on your own later, but describes how he would give us the spirit so that we can receive it. And number three, he comes upon us. Another way of describing this is the spirit empowering us to do work, which is what I see him describing here in verses five and eight. This is a coming on of the Spirit like from the Old Testament when God came upon Moses, David, or Samson. Its purpose is to empower us to do what God commands. I lay out these three separately because I think it's helpful to realize that the Holy Spirit is not one-dimensional, you know, that he is with us, he is in us, he can come upon us to do specific things that we couldn't do on our own. The question is really, have we been willing to receive him in these ways? You know, these are the clear ways in the word that the Holy Spirit works, you know. Are we willing and to receive that, to, to have him do that kind of thing in us? Do we know he's truly with us? Do you believe he truly lives in you? If you've never asked him to save you and put your trust in Jesus, then he's not with you, you know. And so... If you find that you're in that place that you haven't ever trusted Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you know, please come talk to me. I would love to, to share more about how it all begins because that's the place where it begins. Um, are we willing to have him come upon us if he chooses so <laughs> um, to be used by him in moments of our life? That's, I think that's the more important question. 
Or is that too scary, the idea that the Holy Spirit could come upon you and empower you to do things that you could never do on your own? I have felt that way before. Um, And I have to say that he's met me, you know, and I have found that God can be trusted. Um, He's not a God of chaos or fear, you know. He's God that loves and cares and is not crazy, (laughs) you know. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to share Jesus boldly with others. And where does Jesus say the disciples will be witnesses to? At the end of verse eight, it says, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And we see here um, in this verse, a picture of the outline of how Luke has set up the rest of the book of Acts. I think it's so fascinating. It's like he gave us a little outline in that verse. (laughs) If we look ahead at the book of Acts, we see in chapters one through seven, Luke is describing the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem. Chapters eight through 12, he speaks, Luke writes of the, the gospel being spread to Judea and Samaria. He talks about how it goes out there. And then in chapters 13 to 28, Luke tells of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is foretelling what he's going to do with the disciples, how he plans to spread the gospel through them. And it didn't stop spreading. We're living testimonies of God's spirit still at work, right? Right now, um, I'm teaching a, (laughs) you guys are gonna think I'm crazy, I'm teaching a junior high class, history class for um, the the teen um, homeschoolers that meet here on Monday, it's like a co-op. And, um, I'm not crazy, I love it so much. I like history, just in case you didn't know. (laughs) I really like history a lot. And I'm already teaching it with my kids, so I'm like, I could teach this class too, you know? Um, But it's been so fascinating, because we're studying through this period of Roman history, right, where where we are in Acts, right? It's so fascinating. And last week we finished up talking about Caesar uh, Nero, right? the crazy guy, he was awful. And and the persecution that came with him to these apostles that we're reading about right now, right? Jesus is talking to these people in this verse. And, And those were the people that suffered under Nero, you know? The thing that struck me when I was going through this with my class is how these disciples died for their beliefs. You know, people don't die for something they think is a lie, you know? These guys, suffered and died. It wasn't even just a quick thing, it was bad, you know? And I just think that speaks to me, you know, that if God can give the apostles strength through his spirit to stand on their faith, to die for their faith, he can and will give us the strength to have boldness in our faith through his spirit, you know? We can be like the disciples. We have the same calling um, to make disciples. So let's look at verses 9 through 12. It says, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothed, clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go to heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem about from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. So we see after Jesus shares what will be coming for the apostles, he's lifted up and a cloud and is received, um, a cloud receives him. 
And I think that there are a few interesting things about the fact that there was a cloud. I kind of wrestled with the cloud. I don't know why I got stuck on the cloud. <laughs> but um, I like to do word studies. And man, you guys should look up cloud in the Old Testament, man. It was so cool. <laughs> I can't even go into it all right now, but it was so awesome. Um, you know, Jesus could have just disappeared like he had been over the 40 days. He would disappear and then he'd reappear, disappear, reappear, right? Um, but he didn't. He went up in a cloud. Um, when I looked through the Bible and to see other significant clouds, it reminded us, it reminded me of the cloud by day and the fire by night in Exodus 13. Also, we see mentioned in Exodus 33 a cloud coming over the tent of meeting a place where Moses would go and talk with God. The cloud continually represents God's presence. People have called it the Shekinah glory. You know that's not in the Bible, that's what it's been called. I think it's significant here. The apostles so far have seen you know, Jesus disappear and reappear for the last 40 days. I think God had Jesus go up into the cloud instead of vanishing, representing his presence and also making a way for the, the apostles to see that he is really leaving this time. <laughs> he's really going and he's not coming back for a while. Like, I think the visual part he knew they needed, you know. And when we see the disciples just staring off, this is what happens after, they're just staring off <laughs> where Jesus had left in the sky. The two men appear in white and ask him why they're staring at the sky. Several of the gospels, we also see men appearing in white and they're described as angels. And I believe that's what these men are. Um, they leave a message that I'm sure encouraged them in their moment of loss. Because I can imagine the disciples being like, no, <laughs> don't go. No, we just got you back. Like, no. <laughs> you know, I think they're struggling, right? God knew they would struggle. He brings these messengers, these people there to comfort them right in the moment they need it. To tell them, you know, that just the way that Jesus left, he's coming back that way. Like, don't lose hope. He's not gone forever. He will come back. Um, and thousands of years later, we have the same hope, you know, an assurance that Jesus is coming back to us. He's coming back. And we can have that, we have that same longing, you know, that the disciples had. We can relate with that. <laughs> So what do we do while we wait? Last night I was feeling a little overwhelmed when I was thinking about today, like, like it just kind of hit me, I'm like laying in bed. Like, this is the first time we're hanging out with Jan you know, without Janet. <laughs> like, I was texting Sam, I'm like, I feel so sad, <laughs> you know? Um, I just, felt that's that kind of loss. I mean, Janet is not Jesus. I'm not comparing it like that. But I was laying in bed, like, totally just struggling with that part of today. You know, I'm excited. I know God's placed me here. But man, it's hard without her, you know, and, and this, the realness of her not being here. And I just sort of texted Sam. And um, she texted me back and was like reminding me of this part of our verses. <laughs> that, you know, how it wasn't good for the disciples to be stuck on the fact that Jesus left, you know? And I know that Janet's not Jesus, that's what I'm trying to say. But I think sometimes we can be stuck on stuff, you know? 
that distracts us. You know, obviously, um, it's not, you know, I, I think that we all have the propensity to be stuck on something that hinders us from moving forward towards what God has for us next, right? That's what it was <laughs> that she spoke to me. And I, I encourage you, I mean, that helped me. Like, that's not where my focus should be. <laughs> that's not my focus. You know, I, God has something here for us now to go forward with. And I encourage you that if you are in that place of being stuck, you know, I encourage you like Sam did last night with me, don't be stuck. <laughs> Do what the disciples did. They went and obeyed right away what God had told them to do next. They left and went to Jerusalem just as he told them to do. And I want to close um, this morning with some encouragement from some of the passages I looked at this week while studying. Um, it seemed fitting to share as a way to sum up what we see today. So um, I'm going to share from John 16:7. Jesus is speaking to the disciples before his death, and he says, But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This was always Jesus' plan, right? He never left us alone, and he will, we will see in the next few weeks what he did and what he said he would do. You know, he did what he said he would do. We have a helper if we know Jesus. We have the spirit living and working inside of us. The last verse I wanted to share from Revelations 1, 5b and through 8. I'm going to share it out of the New Living. But um, I also noticed that it was in our packet. It was so cool. And to look up, it says, All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, um, his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Amen, right, ladies? <laughs> we have this hope in Jesus' return. We are a part of his kingdom, and we can wait expectantly for Jesus' return. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word, God, how it brings so much comfort to us, God. Um, I just thank you that you've not let us alone to do things on our own, to strive, that you never meant for us to strive in our own strength, Lord, but that you, you left us your spirit to depend upon and I thank you that you, um, that when we know you, you're with us, God, you're in us, and that you empower us to do the things you ask us to do. And you're so faithful to do that, God. And so I pray that as the ladies go into their small groups, God, wherever they land with these debatable issues, <laughs> I just pray, God, that you just, just align everybody's focus on Jesus, God, on you, Lord, and, and that you would navigate those times and help help bring everyone to a better understanding, God, of, of what is true in your word. Lord, I just thank you that we have your spirit that helps us discern it. So I pray you would bless our small groups, God. I know they're new. I pray that the ladies would feel comfortable, that they would just be at peace with each other. And Lord, that you would bless it, God, that it would be sweet fellowship even on our first day, God. In Jesus' name, amen.